All right, what's going on, everybody? How's it going? Good, come on. Man, you got to be doing good after a worship set like that. Let's go. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. My name is Pastor Jared. If you don't know me, so excited to be here tonight, the pastor of the Access Community which is the Young Adults Expression of Resurrection Life Church. So honored to be with y'all. We are a community of Jesus people. Oh, we love the person. We love the presence of Jesus. And we exist to equip and mobilize in identity, evangelism, community, and the scriptures. So excited to be with y'all tonight. This is gonna be amazing. So as some of you might know, we're in a series of messages on our identity in Christ, and which is called His, right? Because our identity begins and ends with Father God, with the Father. It begins and ends with him. So we are his. As Psalms 100 verse 3 says, it says, we are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. And so we believe in this community that as we behold the Father, we belong to the Father, and then we become like the Father. And so this is, we're in actually a year long initiative called the His Initiative. We're we're going this entire year at Access, this entire year, we're going after our identity in Christ. And we believe that as we behold, belong and become that not only this community is gonna be changed unto the glory of God, but the communities in in our world are gonna be changed unto the glory of God as well. So super, super excited. Um, We just believe that Jesus didn't die only to make us better. Like he died to make us new. I'm gonna say that one more time. Jesus didn't go to the cross. He didn't suffer the death that he did just so that we would be like better people, just so that we would behave better or like subscribe to a set of moral values. Like that's not, that like wasn't the purpose. That's not why he went to the the cross. He died to make us a new person. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Everyone say all things. Everyone say it again. All things. How many things? Come on, that's right, that's right. All things have become new. So if we have this new identity in Christ, then we need to discover it. Like if if this really is a new identity in Christ, like you get something new, like say for Christmas, Christmas is coming up, 25 days, praise God. Anybody listen to Christmas music already? (laughs) Yeah, talk to me. I was listening since October, so let's go. But man, you get, you remember as a little kid, you get a new toy for Christmas, right? You get the new toy, but there's like an instruction manual that's attached to the new toy. Like you have to learn how to use this new thing that you received from your parents. In the same way, Jesus and the father has actually purchased a new identity for you. And it's our job together as disciples of Christ to discover and figure out how this new identity affects our daily life. And that's where we're going today, all right? That's where we're going Today, I'm going to talk on the subject of biblical humility and how humility is connected to our identity in Christ. I'm super, super pumped about this message, but let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. God, we honor your presence. We honor you. And God, I just ask that you would meet us, Lord God, through this message, Lord, that you would meet us just as powerfully as you met us through worship. God, I thank you that as your truth goes forth tonight, that it will set us free. 
Set us free in our mind, Lord. Set us free in our body, Lord. Set us free in our spirits so that we can connect with you on a deeper level. We honor you, Father. It's in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. So a little bit about me is uh, I play basketball and I actually uh, love to play basketball. I played varsity basketball all four years. Yeah, thank you, bro. I played uh, basketball all four years. I feel like Zach Efron right now. Get you, get you, get you, get your head in the game. Come on, right? Uh, but I played uh, basketball all four years. Come on, yeah, I keep it going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but... I was this little scrawny kid, man. I should have picked up this picture, but I, so I was, a, I was a freshman and I was playing varsity basketball, okay? My freshman year, I, no joke, I weighed 115 pounds and I was five foot four, okay? So I'm this little, tiny, like little, little kid. And there's this picture of me driving against this like center from like Forest Hills Central or something like that. And this kid's probably like 6'2", like 250. And I'm just like, I'm driving against him and it's like literally like a fifth grader and then like a grown man. It just like looks so funny. But in basketball, um, it's a team sport and the team has to work together in order to win the game, right? And there's two mistakes that you can make as a basketball player, two mistakes. One mistake you can make is being a ball hog. How many of you guys know a few ball hogs in your life? Yeah. One mistake you can make is a ball hog. What, what does that mean? Basically, at the root of the ball hog is that you think you're better than the rest of your team and that you need to do all the work in order for your team to win. And so the idea, some people call them ball hogs. Some people call them the black hole because when you pass them the ball, the ball just disappears and you're never getting it back. You know what I'm saying? And so they try to shoot and score. They, they throw up terrible shots and you just never get the ball back. You don't want this player on their team, right? They have an elevated view of, the, of what their contribution can bring to the team, right? But then the other mistake that you can make is actually a devaluing of your ability on the court, If you're on the court, you're expected to actually make plays for your team. And I can tell you, there's there's times when I was in fifth and sixth grade, man, I thought I was hot stuff playing basketball. I had this like little move where I would do like a crossover like this, and then I'd do two steps and I'd just do a little floater like right in the paint. Oh man, it went in almost every time, okay? So, but I thought I was hot stuff and listen, I was the ball hog. I like took the ball black hole. Nobody was getting it. I was pulling threes from crazy distances. Most of them were going in, but you know, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But then I also swung to this other side where I I let the opinions of people around me actually feed into it because man, it's not fun to play with ball hogs. And people were like, Jared, we don't want to play with you anymore. And so then I swung way too far to the other side of the spectrum where I would have an open layup, but I would say, man, I don't want to be the star of the team. So I'm going to pass it to my friend, pass it to my teammate. And then maybe I pass it and he doesn't have as good of a shot and we miss, right? So the ball hog has an elevated view of his contribution to the team and it actually hurts the team overall. But then the other person has a a lesser view of his ability to play on the team. And that actually hurts the team in the long run as well. And so biblical humility is not having an elevated view of what your contribution can bring to this earth, but it's also not having a lesser view of your contribution to this earth. It's this sweet spot in the middle where you have a right view of what God can do in and through your life. You have a right view of your identity. And this is where I believe that God is bringing us tonight 
Humility is not an elevation of one's strengths. Neither is it an elevation of one's weaknesses, but rather it's an appropriate awareness of both. I'm going to say that one more time. Humility is not an elevation of one's strengths. It's not, neither is it an elevation of one's weaknesses, but rather it's an appropriate awareness of both. We have a contribution that God actually intends for us to bring into this world, but we're not to make that contribution that we can make to this world an idol, right? The first, first thing we're going to park on here tonight is what, what is an action of biblical humility? What does p- biblical humility actually look like? Biblical humility is accepting and defending your identity in Christ. Biblical humility is accepting and defending your identity in Christ. Not an elevated view, not a lesser view. It's accepting and defending the right view of your identity in Christ. And we see this play out in a biblical narrative in the story of Abraham. And this story of Abraham is actually found in Genesis 17. So from Genesis 12 to 17, God takes Abraham on a wild and crazy journey. But if you read in your Bible, and maybe some of us may have, I was used to be confused by this, but in Genesis 12, it actually references Abraham as a different name. He references as Abram. And from Genesis 12 until Genesis 17, God refers to Abram as Abram. And the people in Abram's life refer to him as Abram. But all of a sudden, Abram has an encounter with God, which actually confirms a new level of relationship with God. And in Genesis 17, because of that encounter with God, God changes his name. And in Genesis 17, verse three through five, we find this encounter. It says, then Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant, my relationship, which is the next level of relationship, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham for I have made you a father of many nations. So what was God doing here? God, Abraham, Abram has this encounter with the living God. And in this encounter with the living God, he actually exposes what God had created Abram for. It was to be a father of many nations. So he he unveils Abram's calling in this encounter that he has with God. And he literally cannot be the same afterward. And God knew that he couldn't function the same way afterward. So what did he do? He changed his name. So every single time from this moment forward, every single time Abram would introduce himself to somebody, he would say, hello, I am Abraham, which means the father of many nations. So every time that he is introducing himself to a new person, he's saying, I am a father of many nations. Okay, what does that mean for us? I am going to complete the thing that God has called me to complete with my life. He's saying that every single time that he introduces himself. And now there's this this law in the Bible 
and it's the law of your words. In Proverbs 18, it says that life and death are in the power of your tongue and they that love it will eat its fruit. And even if we think just logically about this, we know this, we are made in God's image, right? Genesis one says that God made male and female in his image. Let me ask you a question. How did God create the world? How did God create the world? Anybody? He spoke it into existence with his words. So God's words have creative power. When God speaks, there's literally power inside of those words to accomplish the thing that he spoke. That's why God says, let there be light. And there was light. Let dry ground appear and dry ground appears. So if we were made in God's image, why would our words carry anything less than creative power? And here's the thing I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about as the pastor of this community and people I'm looking at, all of us here. Man, I love you guys so deeply. I'm a little bit nervous that we've been using our creative power to create death rather than life. I'm a little bit nervous that the creative power that is coming out of our mouth is creating death in our life rather than life. What are we consistently speaking over ourselves? What are the words that come out of our mouth? Maybe even in joking or jesting. Because here's the thing, the creative power that's in your words, it's, it doesn't turn on off when you're joking and then turn on when you're actually serious. It doesn't turn off when you're sarcastic and then all of a sudden turn on when you're actually being genuine. It carries creative power 100% of the time. What are the things that we are saying over ourselves? And are those things in line with our biblical identity? So Abraham has his name changed. Abram has his name changed to Abraham, right? So now he's Abraham. And I just imagine like, go with, there and go with me there in your mind, right? You have this powerful encounter with God. I just like, dude, I long to know what that next day like looked like for Abram or Abraham. I keep, wow, that's so confusing. Anyway, okay. Like he wakes up the next day, he like, he's like, all right, I'm Abraham, you know? I wonder if he felt the same or if he felt different. I don't know. He's like, okay, cool. Like his wife comes up to him. Hey, good morning, Abram. Oh, no, actually, that's not my name anymore, honey. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> what does that conversation look like? I don't know. But even if you play that out, like people in Abram's life, they all knew him as Abram. They didn't know about the encounter with God that he had. And how would they know unless he told them? They, they all treat Abram like Abram because that's who he's always been, right? It was Abraham's responsibility to accept and defend his new identity to the people around him. It was Abraham, Abraham's responsibility. 
What did that look like? That probably looked like for Abraham, just playing this out, this is a possibility. This didn't actually happen in the Bible, but this is a possibility of how it could have happened, right? A- Abraham's neighbor comes up to him. Hey, good morning, Abram. So those sheep, what do you got? Right there, Abraham has a choice. Am I gonna let this guy keep referring to me the old way that I used to be? Or am I gonna confront that and actually live into and accept this new identity that God has given me? And so he must have said something like, hey, you know, uh, I used to be called Abram, but actually now I'm called Abraham. See, the God of my fathers actually appeared to me and he changed my name. And I feel like God is asking some of us in this community to say something similar to the people around us in our life. See, the people around us, we've had these crazy encounters with God, some of them in this room, but there's people in your life that have no clue what encounter with God even is, let alone that he's encountered you specifically. And how are they gonna know unless you tell them? They're gonna keep treating you the way you've always been unless you make a decision to confront, accept, and defend your biblical identity and what God has showed you to do. Some of us need to have conversations like this in the room. Somebody comes up to us, Hey, Jared, bro, there's this party this weekend, bro. This is going to be amazing. I know you're that party guy, bro. (laughs) This is going to be amazing. Hey, I know like I used to be called the party animal. (laughs) I used to be called the party guy. I used to, you know, pound an entire case of beers in one evening and get blackout drunk and not remember what I used to do the night before. I know that used to be me, but now I go by a different name. I go by chosen, called, and loved. I've had an encounter with the living God and I'm not that person anymore. You should come with me to church. If you encountered the God that I've encountered, you would be changed too. Some of us maybe need to have conversations like, some some of us might be referred to as like, hey, I don't know, I don't really believe you. I mean, like you used to lie all the time. Like you have this track record of not really telling the truth. Some of us need to say, you know, I used to be a liar and I agree. Like I used to to lie for my own benefit, but I've had an encounter with the living God and I no longer lie and I'm committed to the truth of God. And we need to say those things out of our mouth that we used to be one way, but we are no longer that way anymore. That God is calling us in this season, not only to accept the identity that God has given us, but to defend it to the people around us. Amen? Amen. So biblical humility, it's not elevating myself above God's standard for my life. And it's also not lessening my ability below God's standard for my life. It's accepting and defending his identity over my life. So now you might be asking, okay, the question, how do I humble myself or how do I become humble? How do I increase in humility? Because I don't know, I don't know about y'all, but I, I can't really tell if somebody's humble or not just by looking at him, you know? It's not like an observable kind of tangible thing. And I'm like, oh, Bruce, dude, you're humble, bro. <laughs> you know, like, I, I, can't, I can't see that, right? 
but it's, it's an inner working of the heart that plays out into your life. But I do believe that God, I wanna go over just two keys, two simple things that I believe that if we will do these things, we will increase in our humility. Okay, two things. That's all I'm gonna do for the rest of my time here. Number one is develop a rhythm of fasting. Develop a rhythm of fasting. So what do I mean by fasting? Fasting, biblical fasting is a 24 hour period where you abstain from food. One 24 hour period that you abstain from food. Now I I say that and some of y'all are like, what the world? Like I can't, I'm gonna die. (laughs) Right? And maybe you don't start out at 24 hour period of of withholding from food, right? Or maybe you have some medical conditions that doesn't doesn't require you, you can't do that, right? But what I am saying is, the essence of fasting is withholding from something in order to behold more of the Lord. Let me say that one more time. The essence of fasting is withholding from something in order to behold more of the Lord. So the reality is, is I could, you know, take a 24 hour period and say, I'm not gonna eat food. But then I could hang out with my buddies all day long and then go to sleep. And that will actually still wouldn't really be biblical fasting. That would just be a bad diet. And I'd probably lose a lot of weight, but, or lose some weight, right? But it's withholding from food. So then I'm going to say, okay, so my breakfast time, I'm not just going to sleep in longer. I'm going to use the same amount of time that I would spend with breakfast. I'm going to spend it with Jesus. I'm not going to work through my lunch. I'm actually still going to take my lunch break, but I'm going to spend my lunch break with Jesus. And I'm not going to watch TV while my family's eating dinner. I'm going to go up into my room and spend time with the Lord. That, that's like, that's the withholding to behold the Lord, right? You might be sitting here and asking, okay, like what's the connection here? Fasting with humility, where does this come from? Psalms 35, verse 11 through 13. This is a Psalm of David. He's praying this because David, one of the hallmarks of David's life is actually his deep love for his enemies. And that was just one of the, the hallmarks of his life. And I believe that's why God why God says about David that he was a man after his own heart is because he had this deep love for his enemies. And we find this, he was actually praying for his enemies, but his enemies were still wishing evil on him. And he writes about that in Psalms 35, verse 11 through 13. It says, fierce witnesses rise up. They ask me things I do not know. They reward me evil for good to the sorrow of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, when my enemies were sick, my clothing was sackcloth and I humbled myself with fasting and my prayer would return to my own heart. So we see this, the way that David increased in humility. He said, I humbled myself with fasting. I humbled myself with fasting. And when you go, when you do skip a meal, when you do go a 24 hour period, you quickly realize how frail you are as an individual. You quickly realize. I, re- I mean, like I've, I've done, you know, certain fasts throughout my lifetime. And it's like, I'm like walking up the stairs and it's just like, so honestly, it's like pitiful. I'm like, oh God, this is so hard. You know, it's been like six hours since I ate, you know, I'm like, oh God. But like, Honestly, though, if you, if you do extended fasts like that, you start to realize you can't think the way that you used to think. You can't talk the way that you, you're not as quick-witted. And you're like, wow, I come to the spot. 
when I withhold food, I literally, I turn into a vegetable. What the world? Like, I like, I, what? Like, I'm not able to like, I'm not able to do the things that I used to do, you know? And it's like, if the withholding, it's just, it humbles yourself. It really does. It really does. And so fasting doesn't change God. It, it changes you. Like humility and the increase in humility, it doesn't force God to do something that he doesn't want to do. Rather, fasting and, and humility, it actually acts as like a key that unlocks the door of provision that God has wanted open in your life the whole time. It really just gets me out of the way and it opens my hands to receive the blessings that God's been pouring out the whole time. Number one, develop a rhythm of fasting. Number two, become open to correction. Open yourself up to correction. Man, I was reading the book of Proverbs probably about maybe this, I guess it's like eight months ago. I was reading through the book of Proverbs and man, I came to Proverbs 12. How many of you guys like the book of Proverbs? Yeah, it's so good. I love it. You know, it's like, it's like, it's amazing. It's kind of like, you know, the poetic language, like Solomon's so good with his words when he's writing this, right? It's like this poetic language, you know, and you're like, you kind of get lost in like the poetic nature. And then all of a sudden it just, just socks you upside the face with like this truth bomb. You know, you're like, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful, amazing. What you're doing is so wrong. You need to repent. You know, like, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. Like, I love this so much, right? And this is exactly the verse I'm going to read right now. Proverbs 12, verse one, it says, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge. Isn't that so sweet? Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge. You're like, I'm just frolicking through the fields right now. And then the, the latter half of the verse, but he who hates correction is stupid. <laughs> like, whoa, just, I'm like, Love correction. Yeah, love instruction, love knowledge. Pate's correction is stupid. You're like, whoa, I just got nailed in the face. So, so good. But this is really, really true. What Solomon is, is saying here is if we will not open ourselves up to the correction, to correction from people, trusted people around us, we will not achieve everything that God has intended for our life. And actually, we will more likely than not travel on a road that we do not want to travel on that will lead toward destruction. I remember, so I got the opportunity in 2021 and 2022 to travel on a, a 10-week-long mission trip through an organization in downtown Grand Rapids called Every Heart. And uh, the way that we traveled for 10 weeks across the entire America was entire, okay, anyway. The way we traveled across America was 15 passenger vans. And so we had this huge 15 passenger van. It was gray. His name was Russ. We loved Russ so much. He took us places that were just so beautiful. But we were in this huge van. And I remember as a 21 year old kid, I'm driving like this, this big 15 passenger van. I have six other people in this van that I'm responsible for their life. And I'm driving this van, right? And one of the things is I remember like when we were on the highway, like the blind spot was like literally the whole left side of the van. Like you literally just, you could not see like outside of that left side of the van. And so I would like look, check my blind spot. But actually what we developed like this little system when we were like in tight spaces and we needed somebody that the people who were in the rows in the back, they would just look out the window and they would tell me whether or not there was somebody in my blind spot, right? And as I was traveling toward my destination, 
there was these areas that I couldn't see that there were blind spots. And if I didn't have the people in my life to tell me what was in that blind spot, we 100% would have crashed. Like if it was only up to me as the driver to check my blind spots, there is no way that we would have made it safely to our destination. And just like vehicles, we also have blind spots in our life. Areas of our life that we cannot check out. We're just oblivious to them. We live our life and we, we just can't see these areas that are not trending towards God or towards his worry or not, not just healthy for our life. And we need to invite people into the car of our life. And we need to invite these trusted people to look at these areas of our life and actually confront these areas. You know, before I came on staff here at, at Res, I worked at a golf course for a lot of years, four years, worked at Railside Golf Course. And uh, one of my favorite, one of the most beautiful things about that job was actually that I got to work with my older brother. And my older brother, his name is Joe. And, you know, we like to message with each other a little bit while we were working. And, uh, but one of these times that Joe and I were kind of, you know, just messing around up, I'm the little brother, you know, and sometimes you just gotta, you just gotta get on your older brothers a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Anybody feel that? Anybody an older brother that's like, wait, hold on. No, we don't actually <laughs> like, so one of these times I was, um, one of these times I was actually driving in a golf cart and I had a little spring rake with me. Okay. So I had a little spring rake. I'm driving in my golf cart. All of a sudden I crest this hill and I see Joey, my brother, my brother, Joe, and he's, he's a like weed whipping, string trimming on an area to the right of the cart path that I'm driving on. All of a sudden, this beautiful idea just pops in my head. Boom. I'm like, I'm going to hit him with a rake. (laughs) Like as I go, I'm in the golf cart. I'm driving 10 miles an hour, barreling down. And I'm like, dude, I'm just going to whack him. And then I'm going to like keep on going. There's no way he can catch me. I'm in a golf cart. He's not. Yeah. You know, like this is great. I'm just like thinking to myself, this is going to be so good. Okay. As I'm driving, as I'm driving down the golf cart or the cart path, I come to my brother and this is the moment. So I'm just like, I'm just going to give him a little poke, you know, and a little poke and then keep driving, you know, just like something funny, you know, and then I'll wave at him. He'll laugh. I'll laugh. It'll be a good time. Right. I approach him. And as I like go to poke him, the back of my spring rake right here, like it gets caught in the wheel well of my golf cart which means my spring rake is immovable. And now it's an extension of this 10 mile an hour momentum that is carrying me forward in this direction. I'm barreling forward. Literally, I tap him. And as I tap him, he like flies forward. Like I literally just like javelin speared my brother. Boom. Just like pop him forward. And he was like, what the heck? He turns at me and instantly my face just white. All the like, I'm just flushed out of my, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like, this is not what I intended, all this different stuff. I keep going. He goes, I like get out of the golf cart. He's like, get away from me. I'm like, okay, cool. I hop in the golf cart. I, I get away, right? So we had like, my brother and I, we, we had this working relationship. We worked it out and it was all good. But one of the, the reasons why I, I tell that story is just because, man, I love my brother so much. And we had some of these crazy, amazing times. But I will never forget one time when we were standing on a green and we were working together one day. And at this point in my life, I was, I was 
involved in probably about five different ministries, volunteering in all five of them. And I was just way spread too thin, but in and of myself, I thought, man, I'm giving myself unto the work of the Lord. And I should be giving my time and my talents to all of these places because that's what God would want me to do with my life. But God confronted me in a time of prayer and he said, Jared, this is the year that you choose one. And you choose one and you do it faithfully and you go forward and you don't look back. And I was wrestling so much because I was, one of them was like, one of them was access. So there was, it was actually this community. And the other one was a campus ministry at Grand Valley, right? And I was thinking to myself like, man, but if I'm not at access, then like, who's gonna be the exuberant worshiper and like carry that forward and, and stoke people's faith? Like who's gonna greet people at the door and all this stuff? But if, but if I don't choose this campus ministry at Grand Valley, who's gonna contend for a move of the Holy Spirit? And who's gonna speak? And who's gonna you carry these people and make people feel welcome? And I was telling my brother all of these things like, I, I don't know, I feel like I need to be in both places. And you know what? He spoke to me. I will never forget this. My brother, Joe, he spoke to me. He said, Jared, the only thing I'm hearing out of your mouth right now is pride. He goes, you just told me for, you know, five, 10 minutes, whatever it was about how your presence in any one of these ministries is gonna be the deciding factor on whether God shows up or not. And he says, I'm sorry, dude. I know you, you're my little brother. You're not that important. That was a hard word to receive in that moment. But I can tell you what, that freed me so much. I didn't see, like if you would have come up to me and asked me, dude, what are you struggling with right now? Like, there's no way I would have ever said pride. <laughs> like, What? I would have never said, I, I didn't even think of myself as a prideful person, but Joe, my brother Joe, he was somebody that I had let into the car of my life. He was watching my life head in a certain direction. He said, hey, bro, you're, you don't see this. This is in your blind spot. I need to call it out because I love you. And I actually want you to get to your destination safely. And because I took that word of correction and applied it to my life, that year, that next year was the most transformative year of my entire life. It was. The word of correction when taken increased my ability to be humble. And as my ability to be humble increased, I received more from the Lord than I ever had before. So maybe you're sitting here today and maybe you're, we're talking about the Lord, we're talking about the ways of God. We're talking about biblical humility. And one of the, the main things, the first step really in biblical humility is submitting yourself to relationship with Jesus. Biblical humility begins by declaring, God, I am not the boss. I could never get my life right. And I want to let you be the driver of my life. I'm done trying to figure out my own and I wanna make you the Lord and the master of my life. Here's the thing, Jesus died, he came to this earth, he died a sinner's death even though he had lived a sinless life. And why did he do it? He died so that he could pay for the penalty of our sin. And if we will turn from our sin, trust in Jesus with our whole life and make him the Lord of our life, we will be saved from death and brought into life both here and forever with God in eternity. 
And I feel like there's some of us in the room that need to get right with God tonight. You need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Maybe there's some of us in this room that you've been living a little bit two-faced. You've been living one foot in the world and you've been living one foot in with God, partying on the weekends and then showing up to church on Sunday. Maybe you've been smoking weed in your bedroom and then kind of coming and being involved in Bible study. Like, and I feel like God's invitation to you tonight is to say, the double life stops here. The fullest life that you will ever live is a life of singularity, congruency, and submission and lordship under Jesus. So if everyone would bow your head, close your eyes. Actually, I'm gonna shift this thing. So you can open your eyes actually. Because this decision and this, this thing that I'm inviting you into today, it's not meant to be just like a secretive thing. <laughs> and when Jesus enters your life, there is no part of your life that he won't overturn and completely change. The rest of your Christian life is gonna be lived publicly. <laughs> And Jesus has died. He, and he, when he died on the cross, he did it publicly. So I'm gonna invite you actually, give you this invitation to make Jesus the Lord of your life. And if this resonates with you, I'm gonna invite you to actually stand in the front, in the, in the presence of everybody here together. And we're not doing this to shame you or expose you, but we are your family and we wanna celebrate with you as you're making this decision to get right with God. So if this is you and you're saying, man, I wanna give Jesus my life, I wanna submit to his Lordship, I'm, I'm done with my double life. I wanna make him the Lord for real. I'm gonna invite you to stand on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Would you stand up? Anybody in the room, stand up. Stand up. You're making Jesus the Lord of your life. Amazing. Yes. Come on. Thank you, Lord. So good. Yes, Jesus. Come on. Thank you, Lord. So good. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else? Yes. Come on. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes. So good. I see four people. Yes, God. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. Yes, five. Come on. So good. Thank you, Jesus. This is so good. This is so good. Come on. We're all going to pray a prayer together. Let's pray a prayer. Come on. This is the prayer that saved my life 13 years ago. And this is the prayer that will continue. It still saves. And we're making this prayer as we begin our relationship with Jesus. So everyone repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I love you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for rising again, defeating death, sin, and the devil. And today I give you all of my heart. I give you all of my life. I hold nothing back. Today, Jesus, I make you the Lord, the King, the master of my life. Holy Spirit, fill me up and help me to walk like Jesus. I love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Come on. If you made that decision, please come find me after this. Before community groups, I'd love to just chat with you a little bit more. Come on, praise the Lord for his goodness. This is so good.